Welcome to LifeSight AI, the podcast series brought to you by Cypro and hosted by me, Nick Mahoney. This series looks to shine a light on the key developments of AI within the life science industry. Following on from the successful roundtable Cypro hosted in 2020, we aim to bring cross collaboration between common projects and to help promote the use of AI in life sciences. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the first episode of LifeSci AI, the podcast series. During this series, we will explore the development, success, challenges, and the future of AI within life sciences. And I'm excited to say we have some amazing guests lined up to share their insights and knowledge across the next few months. Hosted by myself, Nick Mahoney, the AI consultant here at Cypro, you'll be able to access all the episodes as they are released on your favorite podcast streaming service. For the first episode, I'm glad to be joined by Olivier Jolie, the CSO of Brainomics. So Olivier, please take a few moments just to introduce yourself uh, to everybody. Hi, Nick. Good morning, everyone. Um, so yes, um, in general, my, I'm Olivier Jolie and I'm uh, the head of the scientific research at Brainomics. Um, I've been uh, uh, doing uh, a lot of medical imaging in the last 15 years and um, mostly working in the academic settings uh, for, for uh, several years uh, in different countries, in, in Belgium, in France, and in the UK. Uh, and in the last uh, five years or so, I've been focusing on uh, stroke imaging. Uh, when I, uh, in 2015, joined Brainomics uh, to develop the uh, e-stroke uh, solutions we are currently uh, de deploying in many, many hospitals uh, across Europe's uh, European countries and, uh, and, and beyond, yeah. Awesome, thank you for that. And I wanna to touch on Brainomics uh, in a short while, but I think one of the main reasons why you are such a strong asset to Brainomics is due to your background and your early fascination with not only senses of the human body, but the brain itself. So. Why was that so, do you think? Yeah, so it's, it's true. It started, you know, when I was, I guess, uh, much younger. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think when I was, you know, 18 or, or, or uh, my early uh, you know, uh, years at um, university, uh, or even slightly before university, I was really interested in, in uh, measurements of the physical world. Uh, how, how can we measure the world? How can we... Um, uh, you know, quantify things uh, in a precise way. I was very inter interested in, in even uh, uh, meteorology. How can we uh, measure this this uh, large uh, scale phenomenon in, in in the sky, and and even predict uh, the, the, this uh, the, the weather and, and all these uh, measurements really was very fascinating. But at the same time, I also developed this uh, fascination for the brain and how uh, our senses. Um, provide uh, the information uh, about the um, the outside world. Um, somehow we are measuring as well as as a, as, a, as an animal, um, as humans uh, measuring the external world. And it was fascinating, right? This interaction between the senses we have, our eyes, our ears, 
to, to perceive and interpret the world uh, because these are the basis of our cognition, right? So how do we build knowledge? And uh, uh, you could argue all, pretty much basically all our cognition is, is, uh, is based on this input uh, and quite sophisticated sensors we have. Mm. They are really the basis of, of all uh, what we do. And so I started to be interested in the psychophysics, in the experimental psychology, uh, cognitive neuroscience. And so kind of a natural extension to that is, is to, to do brain imaging to better understand how this, this brain is working when yeah. you start to combine uh, the, the sensory information and build knowledge. Um, so that's how it came, you know, uh, towards uh, uh, brain imaging. And, um, and for many years, I've We've been focusing really on the normal brain um, and how, how, how this uh, is, is happening in, in, in the normal settings. Uh, but after a while, I started to realize that maybe what is most important is maybe to look into uh, neurological condition. Yeah. Uh, so when there are deficits, obviously, in the brain. So when did you really start utilizing AI and, and novel AI approaches for your measurements and your psychoanalysis almost? Um, for, for personally, AI has been a really recent uh, development because, uh, you know, um, 10 years ago, really, we, we were doing uh, a lot of signal processing and image analysis, uh, relying on, on a various set of, of techniques uh, uh, of, of really um, very long uh, body of work since the, the 90s uh, yeah. when we started to do imaging of, of the brain. I think uh, we've, we've done, uh, you know, many different ways of, of looking with Bayesian techniques or, uh, you know, signal processing, uh, um, a, a lot of statistics in there. But but basically, AI is really a recent thing that we've uh, mm. been uh, trying to understand uh, its cap its, its uh, benefit in in medical imaging because um, you have to, you have to remember that that AI is, is very good at doing things that, you know, typically a human would, would like to do. And yeah. AI is very good at to recognize, uh, to recognize objects in, in, a, in a photo, like that there is a, a cat or a dog or a house uh, or a car in, in the picture. But this is very different in medical imaging. You are usually most of the time in a, in a semi-quantitative at least uh, approach where uh, the objects, uh, you know, in the image, you can measure them in millimeter uh, you yeah. can say this is uh, this object is, is as big or as small, and actually the big difference is 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 and the revolution with AI was to be able to uh, uh, detect uh, uh, in the picture, um, for instance, a dog or uh, or a cat, independently <laughs> uh, on on the size of the object. Yeah, whether it was a very small uh, because the picture was taken from far or or very close if, if the picture was taken from close and and so in medical imaging it's very different because um, the the if the object is is large it, it can be a pathological uh, feature uh, if, mm. uh, and 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 if the same object is just smaller it might be a normal and so we are in a very different context so it was not obvious I think for 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 several years how this main feature of AI, which is scale invariance and, and position invariance and so on, is going to be uh, very uh, beneficial into medical yeah. imaging, actually. It's only yeah. recently, I think, that, that we realized that there will be a, a way to use it uh, in, in medical imaging. Awesome. And you say very recently, just 
give everyone an idea of, of how recently that would be then compared to because there'll be well, other people listening so, you've used yes, AI it's, it's, recently yeah, but, you're right yeah. I've not been very specific here so basically there, <laughs> been a, there, there's been a transition from very very conventional uh, uh, medical imaging uh, processing uh, toolbox let's say towards machine learning first uh, because we had you know, uh, a good knowledge of what we were uh, trying to mm. look at in an image by interaction between clinicians and data scientists. And so machine learning was the, if you include it within the AI, that was really the uh, the main family where uh, we, we could see the potential of uh, going a bit beyond the, the typical uh, small uh, adjustments of, of features uh, mm. by, by learning from the data uh, with, with machine learning, uh, it could be uh, SVMs or random forest, any, any kind of classifier, learning how to combine in an efficient way a set of kind of relatively heterogeneous uh, features. Um, so that started actually uh, something we, we've done in the early uh, uh, development of our solution at Brainomics. So in the 2015, we yeah. were already using uh, uh, this part of the AI. Um, and that was already very, uh, very powerful to go beyond uh, yeah. the classic uh, medical imaging uh, tool set. But the uh, more recent um, uh, development in AI I was referring to a little bit before is, is this um, deep learning convolutional networks, yeah. which in, is a bit different in, in the, of course, in the design and, and by nature. And, and there are the features, the characteristic of, of, of deep learning convolutional networks. We only recently discovered how this could be um, relevantly uh, applied to, to um, uh, medical imaging and, and to our uh, tools at, uh, at Brainomics, for instance. Yeah. I see. So you've um, transitioned very nicely into Brainomics uh, there. So you joined 2015, a little bit yes, earlier. That's right. Um, yeah. 2015. Uh, now the CSO obviously is mentioned. Um, do you think that the use of deep learning was sort of a major breakthrough for you to make, for Brainomics in the industry as a whole, to make the next step in, in, um, in medical imagery diagnostic support? Yeah, so we, we are indeed talking about, uh, uh, on, on the machine learning part in the early stage, we, we were really focusing on something which is really hard to see actually for humans in the image. So we were really uh, focusing on, uh, somehow the other part of the, the, the AI, when we talk about AI and, and conventional network, it's very good at replicating something which is already um, relatively uh, obvious to a human. And that's yeah. very good at doing this. But we were focusing on the other part, which is the, 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 the features that are really hard to see. And in that context, I think uh, machine learning and our approach was uh, really appropriate. And so uh, these days, we're more like, trying to combine all those things, you know, you have mm. um, a traditional uh, image processing can be like, you know, uh, Fourier transform, uh, you know, any kind of, of uh, signal processing in the 2D or 3D uh, domain of the image. It can be uh, machine learning. Uh, and, and now we see in a particular, uh, in a very specific uh, set of tasks that uh, deep learning and convolutional networks are very, very uh, powerful. And yeah. uh, also, we also understand with the, 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 the more data we get, this this uh, framework is really relevant to, uh, uh, to to improve further. So we see the yeah. the limitation we have with machine learning mm. uh, is is yeah is something that we 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 understand now that with the the, the deep learning model we can feed a lot more data and go beyond 
uh, as well. So it's really Absolutely. a combination of all of this. Yeah, awesome. So just just outline a little bit more about what Brainomics um, is seeking to do, because sometimes in medical imagery, there are organizations that are looking to solve the problem of maybe, um, I don't know, the right term but like almost low level diagnostics um so um if it's um sort of um, breast cancer diagnostics they're looking to automate the the um sort of the quite obvious clear to see so that the human consultant hasn't got to do that and can concentrate on the on the the, the more challenging ones um whereas yourself you just said there that um brainomics looked at the quite difficult to see pieces using machine learning so explain to us where brainomics comes into the diagnostic support pipeline or workflow of a consultant for strokes yes uh, yes so that's true so uh, at brainomics we, we've been focusing on stroke and 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 as you said imaging the the, the brain of stroke patients to, to support clinicians in their assessment of patients um, so at the end, you know, it's, it's a decision-making support tool uh, for the reading and interpretation of brain scans. In, um, in the diagnosis of stroke, uh, the, the neurological evaluation of the patient is, is very, very important, but more and more the, the imaging part uh, is, is, um, is taking a significant part in, in the diagnosis. And the reason is also because in the very early uh, stage of the stroke, uh, within the first, you know, couple of hours, um, it, it's uh, it's it's very hard uh, even to see on the on the image um, w what uh, what's the uh, early impact on the brain. So what is very important for us is to uh, to help uh, the clinician in their diagnosis at this stage. Um, mm. They can uh, sometimes miss some very subtle uh, sign uh, yeah. in in the brain scan. So this is uh, this been a very very key. Uh, uh, a key part because the, the clinician often or otherwise would have to take a decision on treating or not the patient in a kind of almost blind way. So they don't have a complete yeah. confirmation of the diagnosis. Uh, and so they say, okay, uh, let, let's hope this is the, the, you know, the best uh, for the patient. So we're really supporting this, this uh, very difficult decision. Um, you have very different modalities of, of imaging in, in, in stroke. Uh, in, in the acute phase, um, but at the end of the day, they are mostly all about trying to to visualize this potential impact of um, uh, of the blocked uh, artery in your brain that is causing right. so many neurons to die uh, within uh, you know very short time, and uh, and this is very important to remember for for everyone because um, you know the, 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 those neurons uh, they will die very very quickly and yeah and uh, we can't we can't easily repair the the, the brain at the moment it's something we're yeah. very bad at so it's very important to try to focus on on sparing yeah uh, and so what we do is try to 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 detect these features and communicate uh to the full team of, of clinicians um th this information so that they can uh synchronize their their action as quickly as possible to plan the, the best treatment for for those patients yeah so just on the impact then of what it can mean for to lose neurons um if if you were if you were not to be involved in that and the, the patient wasn't able to communicate their feelings and the, the stroke diagnostics was a challenge um and that patient starts to lose neurons as they die and obviously there is some idea of brain recovery it's 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 one of the better ones at restoring itself but sometimes they can go and it can be challenging to recover itself and you said that we're, we're struggling to um 
help support the recovery of the brain because it's such a complex organ. So what would be the impact on, on a patient for their neurons to die? So typically uh, what, what, what's happening when you have this ischemic stroke and a blocked artery, you have a lack of, of uh, perfusion, uh, so a lack of uh, blood supply in, 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 in usually a significant part of, of your brain. Uh, lack of blood supply means lack of oxygen. Uh, the neurons first, they, they, they go into a, a, a safe, uh, a, a quiet mode, so they just get silent. They're not right. yet dead. Uh, they are just silent, so they're not responsive. They are kind of sparing their energy because they have very mm -hmm. low, uh, very low um, um, blood supply, a very low oxygen and, and glucose. Um, so when they are uh, in this mode, uh, some people will lose some brain function, like the speech production. So they, they, right. they won't be able to to answer uh, or, or um, even to understand. Some sometimes it depends on which region is affected. But obviously, mm -hmm. uh, what is important for us is to detect which region seems to be already affected. Yeah. So that we can guide, uh, uh, help in the confirmation of the diagnosis, and also anticipate uh, which region is uh, at risk. Uh, so when you <clears> use, uh, for instance, perfusion imaging or, or uh, contrast imaging, you can get a sense of which part of the brain is, is currently hypoperfused and, and therefore uh, functionally uh, impaired. But you can also say, if this region is not yet completely damaged, uh, it's very key to uh, have a very uh, uh, fast recanalization and reopen this vessel so that this uh, tissue, which is currently yeah. uh, silent, and this brain function, which is uh, currently uh, not uh, uh, working, will be uh, restored. So this is uh, this is really a very short time window when the brain yeah. function is is gone, but maybe only temporarily. If you can reopen the vessel in time. Uh, this person will be uh, will be fine, and we see a, a spectacular yes. effect of uh, this mechanical thrombectomy these days, which basically means that patients will uh, get their vessel reopened, and they will uh, almost just be uh, back to normal next day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is very impressive, Crazy. but it has to be yeah. very fast, very very yeah. fast. So the e-stroke diagnostics for brainomics will come in and in that short time window, um, determine which neurons are in that dormant phase and then be able to open up that blood vessel almost <laughs> in an ideal yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're not really looking at specific neurons yet, but basically, yes, we can, the we area. can highlight, yeah, we can highlight yeah. that there is a, a, a region at risk or there is already a region damage ah, and this can guide uh, definitely treatment. So this is indeed... Uh, a big part of our work where we integrate mm. our technology within existing workflow of imaging. So as soon right. as the image is acquired, uh, typically the, 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 the DICOM images, the, the, the raw images, they go into our system so that they can immediately be processed. And within a minute or two, we send the results to uh, yeah. all the stroke team so that they oh, can awesome. really all be involved in the decision making with this extra layer of information that we provide uh, beside the raw images. That's fantastic. So when you look at the future of where this could go, what do you think the development challenges right now are for you when you look at your development pipeline across the next 12, 24, even 36 months? What are your major hurdles or challenges, do you feel? Well, we, we could do, well, we're always very ambitious and we always want to do uh, many things. Um, I, I think um, 
I, I think we can push uh, things uh, even a bit further in terms of um, of imaging to better serve, uh, you know, maybe not only for uh, patients with stroke, but maybe other um, uh, other neurological conditions. Um, there are a couple of things that are of interest. One is uh, the incidental finding. So sometimes might be uh, someone is scanned for suspected uh, stroke. Uh, right. but we, we might have, um, you know, suggesting uh, maybe at some point um, that this patient uh, might be suffering from an early stage of dementia. And so right. uh, this could be um, a reason to uh, propose for this patient to go on to a different trial, uh, yeah. maybe to and to over to monitor and to have a follow-up uh, uh, understanding of, of uh, and follow-up of this patient over time. Mm. So this is one thing I see. In general, I see that uh, as we get more uh, more data, if we work very well with clinicians, uh, and maybe if governments also um, support uh, access to, you know, uh, sharing of, of uh, more and more imaging data, uh, yeah. protecting, of course, the the, the, the patient, uh, the patient's yeah. uh, information. We we could uh, we could see in the next few years also a major breakthrough in epidemiology, mm -hmm. understanding risk factors, understanding yeah. how uh, we can even combine maybe genetic information of of individuals mm -hmm. and to do more precise and individualized uh, medicine. I think this is uh, th there is so much to do, and I think we should uh, just combine well the expertise of uh, clinicians and uh, data science uh, to. to to, to go beyond the, the current practice and, and to discover yeah. uh, a, a lot of new unexpected biomarkers. Um, I, I see mm. I see many, many things actually. It's, it's, a, it's a great uh, feature for whoever is uh, trying to tackle, uh, you know, medically related uh, challenge, I think. Yeah, I see, I see that and the, the different um, applications of your approaches and your, your software um, and your, your workflow really is one thing I wanted to tap into because I know in, in sport um, there's a lot of talk in the one that the sport that I, I love rugby around concussion um, and re very recently um, in football now they're looking at concussion with a lot of the 1966 World Cup winning squad having dementia and um, and such and obviously the diagnosis of Sir Bobby Charlton recently so um, could your could your work be be used for those type of um, uh, research as well, or has it? Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's a very interesting actually. Um, there, there are there is two kind of component I see in, in uh, what you mentioning concussion in in, uh, in especially in sports. So we're referring uh, to uh, TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, is not only in sports; it's just any, yeah, any, any for sure. traumatic brain yeah. injury, obviously. Uh, car accident and so on, uh, and, and there is an acute phase uh, of assessment within this this uh, for, for for this kind of event. Obviously, yeah. uh, this can create a bleed in your brain, and this is actually a, a very uh, very serious uh, potentially, uh, of course. Uh, and so, this need to be managed uh, in the acute phase. But also, as you mentioned, in sport, there may be a more minor. Uh, but yeah. uh, a, a series of concussions, yeah. and uh, in 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 this population uh, uh, for this sport, typically what is done is and, and what should be maybe further investigated in in the future is is um, um, 
how this is indeed uh, impacting um, yeah. their their long term condition. So we've we, there's a lot of work uh, in in the U.S. as well, yes. uh, looking at the effect uh, of this uh, uh, contact uh, sport uh, for for um, their their long term condition. And uh, there is an interaction here, obviously, between all these contacts and these this, yeah. um, injuries. These are sometimes micro uh, micro injuries of the white matter in your brain. Uh, that would impair your connectivity between brain regions. Mm -hmm. So there are many ways in terms of brain imaging, uh, many, many different ways to look at how these micro-injuries will uh, uh, affect yeah. uh, the brain connectivity and the functionality of your brain. Yeah. And so we, we can anticipate better uh, mm. you know, their the, the deterioration. But uh, at the end, I think uh, the most important in this, um, in this activity is to prevent um, yeah, as, definitely. Much, as much as possible the, the, the contact. Uh, yeah. I don't know if this, if this could ever be a thing, but in the future, if you're going for like a, a health checkup, almost an MOT, as it were, um, do you think that this could be, if, if say there is, there is an argument to say that um, lots of um, uh, small injuries, but a series of those small injuries, small minor concussions, um, minor TBIs, if, if they, a series of them is linked to a higher um, rate of dementia further down the line, do you think that brainomics can come in with your approaches and have a, a, a yearly checkup for people um, who would be in a higher risk group so you can help manage that process down the line and like you say prevent earlier on yes uh, i think that's very exciting uh, to to try to 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 push this further but that's a, a very strong interaction with uh, you know more general policies of um, of screening yeah uh, and, and and in this context what i guess is the main factor uh, that, that that also come into play is is, this, is whether or not we have um, potential treatments. Uh, so, for yes. instance, uh, when you have uh, uh, maybe an early dementia, uh, we have very little at the moment uh, in the therapeutics, uh, you know, to, to support uh, and to mm. hope for uh, improvement. But as we are developing, uh, or I think I hope, uh, you know, uh, some some. Uh, People are working on, on, on solutions for uh, maybe uh, reducing the uh, maybe the, the, the worsening of, of uh, mm. dementia. Uh, as as this will be developed, I think we should indeed screen and anticipate uh, yeah. uh, better. But at the moment, the main issue, I suppose, and I'm afraid, is that there are uh, very very uh, little uh, to do. Um, so predicting the future is 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 yeah. great part of data <laughs> science. Yeah. But in, 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 in this context, uh, I'm not sure how much always we want to know the future when we have no solution for it. But, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. So, so on that then, if there's a, uh, a brain-related disease, um, disease, perhaps, that's um, got some therapeutics um, or has some novel therapeutics on the, that's being used right now or tested right now, a bit further along the line than dementia is, which ones would you suggest that you could utilize your skill set for diagnostics or early prevention or, or long-term monitoring? Well, actually, uh, yeah, I think uh, you just mentioned it. I think, uh, as I said, dementia is still a little bit uh, early stage, but actually it's just mm. starting now. And so maybe that's yeah. uh, one of them at the moment mm. that is, uh, is very interesting to, uh, to look at uh, because 
as we are just testing new drugs, I think we want also to test it on the very early stage yeah. uh, because it's, it's uh, for, for several reasons actually, but definitely this is where you want to be uh, good at um, uh, identification of, of early, uh, very early stage of, of dementia or even uh, maybe uh, if, uh, you know, if you go even beyond the actual uh, imaging, um, having uh, an understanding of very good understanding of the epidemiology and the yeah. risk factors uh, individualized with maybe even genetic uh, fingerprints we, we could mm. just really know uh, who is is very likely to 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 well, who is at risk basically and who should be screened yeah. and maybe early yeah. enroll into trials yeah that's interesting you mentioned the genetic link twice there so it just are you able to give like a top line overview of where the research is for, for linking that to dementia right now or no i'm i'm, I'm myself very uh pretty much uh ignorant in, in genetic but i think uh you know this is still uh we, we have a set of conditions uh yeah. in the neurological uh you know uh, landscape uh, where, where we know that is such an individual viability that is uh, mm. mostly explained by, by by also the genetics so yeah, I think this is where uh, we will we will go uh, one step again. Uh, there would be a big step uh, yeah. when once once we are able to integrate better uh, this information. Again, this is something that is not yet uh, very well captured, measured, uh, stored, yeah. and and analyzed. So, and I think I I hope uh, this will this will be uh, you know the the next. Uh, next step where we can really individualize uh, prediction yeah. and treatments, uh, combining all these things together. No, it's, it's fascinating. I think um, definitely I'm going to look into the genetic links. And if there's anyone listening to this that, that has some, some knowledge of that and researching that, 100% uh, reach out and, and get in touch with myself or Olivia. I'm sure we'll both uh, be more than happy to have a, have a conversation and learn more uh, uh, about that and potentially how they could link some of their research to what, what you're doing doing a, a brainomics as well with your with your imaging um i mean thank you for for sharing your insight and knowledge there um olivier it's uh, been fascinating i'm sure you will uh, you will all agree um that pretty much wraps up the first episode of lifesci ai um the podcast series thank you for um listening um to uh, the first episode and you'll be able to pick up the next episode of LifeSci AI from your favorite podcast streaming service in a couple of weeks. Um, so thank you very much. That finishes this episode for LifeSci AI, the podcast series. I hope you got as much enjoyment out of that as I did. Join myself again in a couple of weeks where I'll be shining yet another light on a new area of AI within life sciences. In the meantime, follow SciPro on social media to hear about the latest updates on the series, but also on the roundtables and other work we do day to day. Please also like, share, tell a friend and comment on this podcast so that we can all promote the use of AI in life sciences together. Thanks for listening.